0: Father God, again, we thank you for uh, your word. God, we thank you for this time of worship together. We ask that as we open your word, that you would speak to us by the power of your spirit um, through your word, God, that you would teach us truth through your word, um, that you would focus our hearts, um, our desires, our expectations, um, God, that we would, our lives would be shaped um, by the things that we read here. God, we ask that your spirit would move not only among us in this hour, but God, that you would be um, going before us in even greater ways. Um, God, we pray that uh, you would put in us um, a spirit of evangelism um, that we would desire and have a, um, got a concern and a boldness, um, God, a a fire burning within us um, to share the good news of the gospel with those we come in contact with. God, we confess all of us that we are in, in so many circumstances in our lives, um, woefully negligent when it comes to the great commission to which you have called us. Um, but we pray Lord that you would help us um, to, to take every opportunity to share with people the good news of Jesus Christ, we ask that your spirit would go before us, that it would set up, um, divine appointments, God, that we would recognize times, um, when you were moving in particular ways in people's lives and had had through your providence, um, set up situations in which we could speak, uh, your truth and your gospel into people's lives. Um, but, God, we don't want to pick and choose the places that we share the gospel. We want to be like the sower in the parable who sows um, broadly and generously. Uh, we want to um, spread the gospel um, wherever we go to whomever we encounter. Um, and yet we all recognize, God, that we are fearful in these situations. Um, we are timid in these situations and we don't um, act the way that you have called us to. Um, and so we ask that you would help us, um, God. Give us uh, kindness and and winsomeness, certainly, but God, give us boldness. Um, let us speak in truth as we encounter our friends, our family, our coworkers, um, the people that we engage and come in contact with um, through our daily lives. God, we ask that you would bring revival through this, that your Spirit would move among us, that it would move before us, and God, that it would change hearts and that we would see a great movement of your spirit even within our own time, um, that you would draw people back from the despair and hopelessness and nihilism and atheism and, God, the the false belief that characterizes um, our fallen world and that you would draw people to the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ, that our lives would... Um, be a witness to that truth and that you would bring revival through these means. God, we know that we can't do it on our own. We cannot change no. hearts, even in our own faithfulness. Uh, we cannot change hearts. No. And so we ask that you would help us to be faithful. And we ask that you would do the work that only you can do. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus name. No. All right. So we're going to jump into um sort of, our last passage in the Gospel of Luke. So this is the actual last passage in the Gospel of Luke. You'll probably notice that we skipped over a section from last week, and that's because we're going to use that uh, those few verses that we skip, basically 42 through 49, as sort of a summary of the Gospel of Luke um, in two weeks to actually finish out the entire Luke series. But tonight we're talking about this last story um, that we find in the Gospel of Luke, the story of the ascension of, of Jesus Christ. And I think the case is, is, and maybe you feel differently and maybe you've never thought about it, but I think the case is, is that the ascension of Jesus is probably the least remembered aspect of his life and work. Um, we just don't talk about the ascension of Jesus a whole lot. If you think about it, you've probably heard tons of sermons um, or read you know, blog articles and messages and books and Sunday school lessons on pretty much every other aspect of Jesus' life. You've talked a lot about his birth. In his baptism, in his temptation, in the miracles, in the crucifixion, and the resurrection, and the return of Jesus Christ. But I'll bet you probably haven't heard near as many, maybe very many at all, on the ascension of Jesus Christ. Much more rarely do we hear a sermon, and yet the reality is that the Ascension is a core doctrine of the Christian faith. And again, if you're not familiar with what I mean by that idea, the Ascension, that is the fact that Jesus ascended to heaven bodily. That he left from this place and and didn't go to heaven the way, um, God willing, we probably will go to heaven. And certainly the people who have gone to heaven before us have gone. Right. We did not die. Our bodies go into the ground. Our spirits go to heaven. That's not the way Jesus went to heaven. Jesus ascended bodily into heaven. Now, consider a few things about that. Um, First off, the early church considered the ascension an essential element of the story of Christ and an essential doctrine of the Christian faith. And part of the way we know that is by the very creed that we quoted today. Both the Apostles Creed and the Nicene Creed both mention the ascension in it. All right. Pointing to the fact that they were saying, Hey, this is something essential that you have to believe to be a faithful Christian. What does it say in the Nicene Creed? That he suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. So that there's a day each year in the church calendar that the church celebrates the ascension of Jesus Christ. It's on the 40th day after Easter. It's called the Feast of the Ascension. Uh, it falls always on a Thursday. Um, and this year it falls on May 18th. So we're about a week and a half away from it in, in our calendar year. All right. And you might say, well, Ash, you know, uh, the Catholic Church celebrated all kinds of feast days. Pretty much every day of the year there's a feast day. Right. Why is this? day any different well that's true but the Feast of the Ascension actually sits along in church history it sits along all the other major holidays holy days of the Christian calendar So here's a little fun fact that I came across while I was I was studying for this message so the Protestant reformers John Calvin and Martin Booser Booser is probably a name that you're less familiar with but John Calvin you've, you've probably certainly heard of. Um, who were certainly no devotees to all of the festivals that were celebrated by the Roman Catholic Church. Nevertheless, they thought that it was appropriate and good for the church to celebrate what are called sometimes the five evangelical feasts. And those are the, the Feast of the Nativity, which is Christmas, Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday, Pentecost, and the Ascension. Feast, okay, the feast of the ascension. All that to say, the bodily ascension of Jesus to heaven has historically been a much more important piece of doctrine than we give it credit for. Right? It, it, it gets ignored a whole lot, and it shouldn't. So, so maybe by that saying that, you say, okay, well, Ash, if we've ignored it, why should we not? What is it about this event that is so important? Why is it so significant to our belief and in our doctrine? Well, let's begin by pointing out something. One, Luke actually gives us two accounts of the Ascension. We learn about the Ascension in two different places in Luke's writing. Obviously, we learn about it in Luke chapter 24. But if you'll notice, Ah. a passage that Alice just read a few minutes ago is very sparse. Okay? Literally, there's only one verse in the Gospel of Luke that actually deals specifically with the Ascension. That's verse 51 says, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, okay? That's the only thing that Luke tells us in his gospel about the ascension. But Luke wrote another book, right? Luke wrote the gospel, I mean, the, the book of Acts. And so in the book of Acts, we have a little more full treatment of the events of the ascension, okay? Still not a ton, but a little more. And so that's actually where we're going to be for for most of our sermon. We're going to be in the book of Acts, which should be, um, you, you just, you know, skip over a couple of gospels, right? And then, and then you're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter one. We're basically going to be looking at verses six down through, I've forgotten it now, maybe 10? 11. So starting there in Acts chapter one, verse six, we're going to zoom in on a few, um truths that we draw out from what we see about the Ascension in these passages. So verse 6, it says, Then they gathered around him and asked him. All right, so Jesus has been resurrected. This is in the, the 40 days before his Ascension. He's teaching. He's meeting with the disciples at various instances. And on one of those instances, it says, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. All right. So the disciples recognize something. They recognize that the resurrection that has occurred means that Jesus is the Christ, that he is in fact king and worthy of his kingship, that he is in fact, the son of God. And they assume that all that truth come together means this is this is the time, right? Jesus is here. He's resurrected. He is going to establish his kingdom. He is going to set up his rule in Israel that will be this rule that reaches to all nations and, 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 and blesses all peoples. That promise that goes back all the way to the Abrahamic covenant. But Jesus basically says, it's not for you to know the times. Basically, partially saying, it's not yet. That 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 event has not taken place yet, to the extent that you think it's going to take place. It's not for you to know the times and the dates that the Father has set, because there is one event that has to take place first before Jesus takes his place on Earth as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Mm-hmm. It's sort of providential that we should be talking about this on a, this ascension on this Sunday. Um, because you may or may not be aware, you probably are, is yesterday something happened. And you're like, oh, the Kentucky Derby. And you're like, nope, that was not it, although it did happen yesterday. It's the first Saturday of May every year. That's not what happened. Something else happened yesterday. The first time it has happened in probably uh, most people in here's lifetimes, and that was yesterday Prince Charles of England was crowned King Charles III of England. So I don't know if you, my, my, one of my daughters got up at 5 a.m., even though she had gone to bed the night before at like 11 or 12, and she still got up at 5 a.m. to watch it live because she loves all that stuff, right? The other daughter was like, nah, okay, I'm staying, I'm staying in bed. Um but the pomp and pageantry that you can probably still watch and get online and watch it and see all the the uh, the, the, the ceremony that went on—that's that stuff that goes on in that it goes back a thousand years. I mean, we're talking about traditions that go back to the time of Charlemagne, um, but but more recently than that, go back to the time of William the Conqueror. And so there's this this big deal. It's not happened since 1953 because of the longevity of, of Queen Elizabeth II. Um, And so, but here's the deal. Charles was technically king the second his mother died. As soon as his mother died, he became king of England. But officially, he was not king until he was crowned king, and that happened yesterday, right? The disciples in this story are saying, are you beginning your reign? Is that what's happening right now, Jesus? You've been resurrected. You're obviously the Messiah. You're obviously the king of the Jews. You're obviously the son of God. Are you beginning your reign? And Jesus says, I still got to do one more thing. I have to ascend to my father. I have to be exalted to my father's side. I have to take my rightful place at the right side of his throne. An event that had been predicted in the Old Testament scriptures. The the book of Daniel chapter seven says this. Daniel's having a vision and he sees the ascension of Jesus Christ in the future. Obviously, he doesn't know how all these events are going to come together. But in Daniel chapter seven, it says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. All right? Daniel is foreseeing the ascension and the coronation of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself proclaims the event, particularly, we've maybe seen it a little less in the Gospel of Luke, but particularly in the Gospel of Matthew, in various places. But when he's standing on trial before Caiaphas, before the Sanhedrin, he says this. The the Sanhedrin say to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Right? That is their charge to him. And what does Jesus say? He says, you have said so. But I tell you from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So from now on, Jesus says, after this death and resurrection has taken place, you're going to see me in two places. You're going to see me sitting at the right hand of the father and you're going to see me coming back one day on the clouds. So here's what the deal is. Why is the ascension important is because the ascension means that King Jesus is reigning now. All right. Jesus has ascended his throne. Jesus has been crowned king of kings and lord of lords. And that now we are waiting in the in-between time for that king to come back and reclaim what belongs to him. But here's some other cool things. OK, so that's part of the the, the importance of the doctrine of the ascension. But if Jesus is bodily. In heaven at the Father's side, because again, that's key. Jesus is right now, we don't think about this. Jesus is somehow, somewhere where the body right now, okay? If we can find where that tomb was for sure in, in Jerusalem, right, there's nothing in it. The tomb is empty because Jesus has a body, and he has had a body for 2,000 years. And however you understand heaven in terms of its dimension or where it's at or whatever that means, wherever he is in heaven, he has a body. And that means that if he's not here on earth, physically present with us, at least not the way he will be one day, but that still doesn't mean that he's not present because Jesus is present with us. His body is with him in heaven, but Jesus is still present with us. How? Well, verse eight tells us about that. The ascension sets the stage for Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descends. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus' ascension opens the way for the, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And it's hard for us to fathom the words that Jesus says about the coming of the Holy Spirit, okay? Because this is the crazy thing that just doesn't seem to make sense, I think, to most people. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't feel like it is the case and yet Jesus has said it over and over again. And this is the deal. He says, you are better off if I leave so that the Holy Spirit can descend and be among you. That's what Jesus says. Most of us would think to ourselves, man, I just wish Jesus was here. Like I wish he was a dude standing next to me that I could talk to and he could talk to me and I could touch him and he could hug me and like I could share life with him. And Jesus says, that's not actually the best thing. The best thing for you, the most needful thing for you, is for me to go away for a while and allow the Holy Spirit to come and be my presence among you. Again, that's hard to grasp. I don't think we actually feel that way very often we really probably ask ourselves the question, man, why didn't Jesus just show up? That's what I would, I would prefer. But notice some cool things about this passage. We started in verse 6, but go back and look at verse 4. It says, while staying with them, he ordered them not to de- depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So think about this kind of weird little fact. Jesus basically says to the disciples, don't do anything until the Holy Spirit gets here. Okay? Yeah, yeah, but Ash, we got to tell people about Jesus, his his life, death, and resurrection. We've got to evangelize. we got to share the gospel. Jesus says, don't bother yet because it's not going to work. You don't have the power to do anything until the Holy Spirit gets here. Okay? Your efforts will be in vain. Until the Holy Spirit gets here. Now, again, it's 10 days after this, right? So we're not still waiting on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here now, okay? But the point is, is that Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is so critical and so necessary for you to be the people that I have called you to be, for you to accomplish the things that I have called you to accomplish, that you should not even try apart from the Holy Spirit. Right? If we think for a second that we can do any of this on our own, Jesus is basically like, you should just stay home. Okay. You should not even venture out because you can't. But he commands us, no, but wait because the Holy Spirit is coming. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And so that the coming of the Holy Spirit, the work and the necessary empowerment of the spirit that is beyond our scope right for this sermon today right i can't even get into all the stuff that we need the holy spirit for i might do that in a couple of weeks when we hit pentecost but for our purposes today the ascension is critically important because we are told if jesus doesn't ascend to the father then the holy spirit cannot descend to us you might say why is that ash and the answer is i don't know i don't know why jesus can't be here and the holy spirit be here at the same time but jesus says that's the case that he must ascend for the spirit to descend. His ascension, so therefore is not just connected to, um, or I guess in addition, not therefore, but, but not only is Jesus ascension critical to our mission right now because the Holy Spirit has ascended, but really his ascension is pointing us to the truths that are, that are connected to our place in eternity. So let me add another thing. So so we've talked about, like, already that the ascension is the beginning of Jesus' reign, that the ascension sets the stage for Pentecost. I would also say that the ascension is super important because it is the dual, at least dual, maybe more than that, the dual anticipation of the end times. What's coming in the end times? So one, and we already talked about this a little bit, but it anticipates our existence in eternity, Jesus' ascension does. So last week I made the comment at some point during the sermon, I said, Jesus is the only person who's ever been resurrected. Okay. I mean, Somebody came up to me afterwards and said, wait a minute, what about like uh, uh, Lazarus and the widow of Nain? Like, isn't that, aren't those, there weren't those people resurrected too? And I said, no, there's a distinction there. I think we would better say that those people were resuscitated, not resurrected. And the difference would be this, resuscitated people die again, right? If you were raised to life, there, I, don't, I don't know if there's anybody in here who could tell this story, but there are lots of people who have died and been dead clinically for a while and then been raised to life again. Probably not anybody that we know of who was dead like Lazarus was dead and raised to life again, but people can die and be resuscitated. But the only person who's ever been resurrected to this point is Jesus Christ. And what that means is the distinction is this. Resuscitated people will die again one day. Resurrected people are raised to eternal life. Nobody else has been resurrected to that sin. Now, obviously, the case is if we have trusted in Jesus Christ, we have all been resurrected at a level um, spiritually. But we have not experienced that physical resurrection that we will actually experience one day. And so here's a neat idea. The fact that Jesus has ascended to heaven with a body confirms what we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, that he and we will have bodies forever. That we will be made alive in newly resurrected bodies. Are they going to be like this body, Ash? I don't know. There's going to be continuity. Remember? Um, There's also going to be, um, uh, what was the other word I used? There's going to be, Continuity and, geez, if I can't even remember my own sermons, y'all are in trouble. Um, disparity between the two, right? But we're going to have bodies forever. You're going to live in eternity with a body. That our future existence is a bodily one. And that's confirmed because Jesus has already gone ahead of us. And Jesus exists now in heaven with a body. So here's a really cool, again, this idea. When we look to the book of Revelation, what do we see? We see heaven descending and and joining with earth. We have this place that we call the new heaven and the new earth that we are going to live in, where earth and heaven are united. Jesus is already in heaven, and he has brought his body with him. He is prefiguring the idea that people can live in heaven. Bodies can live in heaven. That's what we're going to be one day. We are going to be people in bodies living in this new heaven and the new earth. You could say Jesus is the first fruits of eternity. His body has entered into heaven. He is dwelling there where heaven and earth are now united. Body and spirit are now united in the person of Jesus Christ. One commentator's kind of said it like this. He says, in the incarnation, God comes down to man. But in the ascension, man is lifted up to God right? Physicality is taken into heaven in the person of Jesus Christ. Again, all prefiguring our eternal destiny. That's what we're going to be for eternity. Embodied people living in the presence of God, okay? And so that's the first way that this, the ascension prefigures the end times, right? But it's not just that, because here's the other thing that he specifically draws attention to in Acts chapter 1, the mode of his ascension prefigures the mode of his return. So look at verse 9 in, in Acts 1. It says, When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. All right. So the mode of his departure mirrors the mode of his return, you could say. The angels at the ascension draw a connection between his ascent and his return. So first off, we could just say this fact. The ascension demonstrates that Jesus is coming back. Jesus has left, but he is going to return. So how we're not supposed to see the Ascension is the end of the story. This isn't like the scene in a Western where Jesus is riding off into the sunset. Okay, That's not what the Ascension is. Um, it's not the closing credits on Jesus' life. He's not the Superman character who has stepped in and then he's sort of like, you guys be good. And then he like uh, floats off into the sky. That's not what the Ascension is. The Ascension is the promise that Jesus has something to go do. But as soon as he has done that, he will return and complete his mission. So how is he going to return to us? In what form is he going to? By what means is he going to return to us? Well, there have been cults all through the history of of the world that have come up with all kinds of ways and said all kinds of things about how Jesus is already back in some way, shape, or form. And we ask ourselves the question, well, how is Jesus going to come back? Is Jesus going to be born again the way he was at his nativity? Is he going to come in the form of a baby that has to grow up and then become Jesus? Is he going to be reincarnated or some idea like that? Does the spirit of Jesus come down and indwell a human who's been walking around? I'm just saying these things. They're all untrue, but they're all things that people have claimed at different points throughout the history of the church. But none of them are the case. We know how Jesus is going to come back. He's going to come back in the exact same way that he left. Matthew 24 says it like this. Immediately, he's talking about the end times. He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the earth will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Right. Just as it says, Jesus ascended into the sky and was that their, their view of him was, was obscured by a cloud. And what does that mean? I don't know exactly. Right. Like, I don't think he like, like rocket manned out into outer space or something like that. I don't think that's the picture. Right. I think what happened is as Jesus ascended into the sky, That curtain or veil that exists between this world and the next world was opened for a moment and Jesus stepped through and then it closed behind him and, and he was received into, to heaven. Um, obviously I don't know exactly that that's how it happened because the, the, the explanation in, in Acts is pretty, pretty vague. Just says that he, all of a sudden he kind of went behind a cloud and then, and then he was gone. But if you had been there that day, if you'd been standing on that hill that day when Jesus rose into the air. These angels show up and they say the same way that you saw Jesus ascend and disappear, you are going to see him reappear and descend. And we see that attested to all through scripture. That Jesus will return in power that Jesus will return in glory and that he will draw all people to himself. Okay. And all of these doctrines are tied to the Ascension. Okay. So if Jesus, just like we said, walks off into the sunset one day, we don't know any of this stuff. We don't know um, if he's coming back. We don't know where he is gone. We don't know what it means. We don't know if he walked off into the mountain somewhere and died in a cave and that his spirit ascended in his body. We don't know any of those things, but if, if we sit there and watch Jesus and he ascends into heaven and these angels come and give testimony to it, then we know all kinds of things um, about our mission here on earth, about Christ's imminent return, and about our place in eternity. And I think that's why the doctrine is so essential, because here's a neat truth, okay? It's not, it's not something that we do that's wrong, but it's something that we do that's unbalanced, we mentioned this before I and mean, we are an era of church history, certainly in the United States. even for faithful Christians we are very concerned about how to rightly live in this world as Christians. We are very focused on this world, okay even in a good way how we should rightly do things, how should we should live faithfully okay there's nothing wrong with that in fact we're certainly supposed to do that but as we go through the scriptures there is also a balancing, Uh, impulse that says we should not be so focused on this world we should also be focused on the next because man this world is a moment in a blip compared to what god has in store for us for eternity so there's the old goofy saying that about christians and people say oh those people are so heavenly minded that there are not any earthly good right and i say belagma Okay, that's baloney, right? The only way we can be of any earthly good is if we are heavenly minded, right? If we have our eyes set on the same thing that the scriptures have their eyes set on. And so these truths that we talked about as we close create a backdrop out of which we live our lives, okay? So here's the deal. All of those things that I've said today may not be the kind of things, maybe they will be, but may not be the kind of things where you'll walk out of here and be like, tomorrow morning, everything's going to be different. I've got an action point and I'm gonna do something different tomorrow morning because of, of the doctrine of the ascension, okay? Maybe there is, but probably not. But I think this is the case. That doctrine then becomes the background, it becomes the overarching sort of reality of everything that we do, right? The fact that Jesus Christ is right now reigning from heaven should change everything about your life. Like if you don't believe that, your life is going to be very different. If you think we are just out here in this like wasteland and everything is is um, just up for grabs, You're going to live your life a certain way. But if you think Jesus Christ is reigning and that he is in complete control and that he is going to come back one day and set all things to right because he has that power, then your life is going to be radically different. The fact that Jesus is absent in the flesh and the fact that it is made up for, if that's the best way of saying it, for his presence in the spirit will change your life right now. Right. If you think the Holy Spirit has indwelt you, if you think Jesus Christ has departed, but his Holy Spirit has descended and literally lives inside of you, molding you and shaping you and teaching you and drawing your attention to God and to the gospel and to the life that he has called you to, if you believe that, it will change everything. Okay, It will change everything about your life. The fact that we dwell securely in Christ because he has a body and sits in heaven at the right hand of God the Father. And we didn't even really get into this, but that he is there mediating for us, yes. that he is there speaking for his people at the right hand of the Father. Man, that should change everything. <laughs> in a very simple thing, like, man, if you had a, if you had somebody who had the ear of the the governor or the president or of the, of the, the head of your, the CEO of your company, if you knew somebody who had their ear, man, it would be a big change in your life. You might have all kinds of things that would happen. And yet we have someone who is our advocate and mediator who has the ear of God, the father and sits next to him. Even now speaking on our behalf, man, that ought to change everything in your life. That ought to change the way we pray to God. That ought to make us think, man, I could ask anything. Um, I could ask for really big things that maybe in and of my own faith wouldn't even think would happen because I have the Son of God mediating for me at the throne. And man, if his return is promised, that Jesus is coming back, that he is closer today than he was yesterday, that the Bible tells us to always be prepared and have our candles lit and be ready for his return at any moment, then, man, that ought to change everything, too. Is this what you want to be doing when Jesus comes back? That's the question that we should wake up every single morning and ask ourselves. Every time we get into something that's goofy, every time we get into something that uh, that the world is trying to pull us away from God, we should ask ourselves that question. Is this what I want to be doing when Jesus comes back? Because the ascension teaches us he's coming back and we're going to know it. And we're going to see it. And he's going to come back in the exact same way that he left. And so again, I say, do these doctrines, are they going to change the way you wake up and live in the morning? And the answer is maybe not. But then again, maybe they should. Maybe they should change the way we live. And maybe that's part of the reason why these things are not essential in our lives, because we've forgotten the truths of, of the ascension of Jesus Christ. So what I want to do is we're going to go to the Lord in a time of prayer. We're just going to ask that that God would speak to our hearts along these lines. That each one of those elements, each one of those points, maybe it's something that you particularly need to internalize um, and apply to your own life and heart and begin to live out the fruits of um in your daily life. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Just ask him to do whatever work it would it would be that he would have in your own life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I think it is the case that um, each one of us would confess that even though we have believed these things, even though we could um, uh, agree with them in a creed, um, agree with them in a sermon, agree with them as we read your word, there is a very real sense in which God, none of us um, live each day of our lives as if Jesus Christ has ascended. Father, if we were to live faithfully, truly in light of those realities, um, it would probably change everything about who we are. So, God, I, I don't question the fact that most of us believe it. But I ask that you would shape us by these truths, that you would make us into the people that we should be because of the reality of the doctrines and truths that we find in your word. That I would be different tomorrow morning because Christ is ascended, because he is reigning, because he is ruling, because he is interceding, because he has sent the spirit ahead of himself. And God, because he will one day, probably sooner than we think, return to draw all people to himself. God, let me live each day as if Christ were ascended, because he is. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Please sing the closing song. The morning of our living stand, oh, let it cease to die, unless the Lord does raise the house in vain, right. Tomorrow, can't tell me, what is your life, this is all the glory I Christ. Oh, glory be to Christ, I mean, the glory to Christ. His will embrace the sink all the glory to Christ. Will be done his kingdom on earth as is over. And himself our praise him for the heart of sound and, and the We'll take the cup of life to shed all glory to Christ. All glory lead to Christ, shocking. All glory lead to Christ. His will and they will sing all glory. To on the day of the great, I am the faithful and the true. And the state is made of these. Our God shall live with us and me. Our step backs by faith and we shall end in speed. All glory, all all glory, all all
0: um, let me ask a favor of you real quick. So we are starting tonight our um, new members class. So we're going to be doing that after service. Usually we do it before, but because of prayer meeting tonight, we're doing it after. We're going to start that class at uh, 640. So that's in about 20 minutes. Um, but what I would ask is maybe if everybody could just add a little extra helping hand and getting the place set back up, because we'll have a chunk of people who will be going to that class. And so we're going to go ahead and try to get that started, which will leave, you know, a gap in the work. So if everybody could kind of, even if you're not usually, that's not part of your um, task at the end of service, if you could kind of help us out and we could get it done a little quicker, that would be great. And then if it's 640, all of a sudden a group of people disappear and there's still a few things to be done around, if you wouldn't mind finishing that up, that would be awesome. Cool. Um, all right. Uh, good to see you. Um, one more sermon in Luke. Then I'm just gonna start over again and do Luke all over again for the whole plan. I don't even remember the sermon myself from three weeks ago. So we'll just start over. Um hear this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week.